back. I've been here before. Probably not too many people remember me, but been here before. Um, we, uh, we, I think the, probably the first time we came here, we were missionaries to Azerbaijan. But the last eight years, we've been uh, missionaries to England. And um, you see my, well, that's about my wife and I. And we, uh, we were missionaries in Bristol, England. So um, how many have been to England? You get to experience that. Yeah. So, um, so when I came here uh, eight years ago, um, we just came with a dream. That's all we had. We had a, a calling to go to England. We didn't really know very many people there. We didn't know what we were going to do or how it was all going to work out. But we did have a dream to plant a church in England. And uh, this church got behind us. You said, yes. I don't know why you did that, but you did. You said, yes, we're behind you. We're going to support you. And for the last eight years or ten years, whatever long it's been, uh, you've been supporting us and helping us. And so um, maybe you're sitting there thinking, why, why are you missionary in England? England doesn't need missionaries. It's a Christian country, right? They're, we've seen all the churches. Well, uh, the, the, the truth is, the church has been in decline in England for the last at least 70 years. And uh, I wish I could tell you that's all turned around, but it's continuing to decline. People are continuing to, to leave the church. So we're now about 3% of people in England attend church. So 3% of people uh, are active churchgoers. Uh, interestingly enough, about 5% of the country is Muslim. So it kind of gives you an idea of where the country's at. And so in England, uh, Christianity is just a cultural thing. It's part of our heritage, part of history. The stories in the Bible are just fairy tales and no more than Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. And uh, we none of, no serious, educated, uh, modern people would take any of that uh, for real. And so when I tell people, uh, they say, well, what are you doing? You know, obviously, they can tell the accent. You know, what are you doing over here? I said, well, I'm, I, I started a church. And they looked at me like, you did what? <laughs> you, you know, in their minds, in, in their, I, I built a big uh, stone cathedral, uh, stained glass building that's completely empty all week long. And why would anyone want to do that? Or why, you know, what's the point of that? We have plenty of those. And so I kind of explained, you know, what I'm talking about, what kind of church and that. And oh, oh, I know. And so what they say is, Oh, you're, you're talking about a happy, clappy church. Is that, that, that's what you started. So I've been here this morning, so I can say this is, this is one of those happy, clappy churches. So when someone asks you, you know, what, what kind of church you go to, so we started a happy, clappy church uh, in England, and you all helped us. Now, a lot of people have this idea, a lot of church uh, folks have this idea that what happens in church, basically church is what happens Sunday morning and maybe uh, Wednesday night or some other meetings. And that's all that happens in church. But I'm glad you mentioned about the Assemblies of God and our mission's emphasis. Because I'm going to tell you a story in a few minutes about what this church has done way over in England. So five time zones away. So while you were sleeping or getting up early, we were having church because of what you've done here. And the other missionaries that you support all over the world, things are happening that it doesn't happen in this room. And that's the great thing about being part of missions, is that God's working through this church, through your giving, through your prayer, um, even, even when you're not, the, the building's closed and no one's here, God still is working through this church. So those of you that participate in missions know that your, your, your efforts in missions are going on all the time. And what this church has done 
It's happened all the time. So I've given you the bad news about England and the church, but who wants to hear a good story, huh? Who wants to hear a good, exciting story of what God can do? You know, a lot of people say God can't, uh, you know, God's given up on England or, you know, the people are too hard to reach. But even in hard places, God can do amazing things. If we believe, God can do amazing things. So, um, we went to England, we worked a couple of years with some other church planters, got a little bit of experience, and then this, this, there was this little, poor, sad little church of five people uh, that, was, that was left. There were just uh, five of them, and uh, they were going to close the church, and nobody wanted to lead that, everyone had given up on it, and so they thought, hey, I know what we'll do, we'll give it to the, the crazy American missionary, right? I mean, uh, you know, um, we'll, we'll, you know, pass it off to him. So we said, okay, six months, we'll, we'll take on this little church, see if we can uh, do something with it. Sound familiar? No. <laughs> so um, we show up, and five of us, there's five people there, there's five in our family, so 100% church growth on the thir- first Sunday, so excited, you know, send a newsletter back to the churches, you know, let's take an offering, you know, for the, you know, because 100% growth on the first Sunday is amazing. Um, but so, so you see there in 2013, uh, the way we started, it was, um, you know, that we had this, this big room and a, few, a handful of us. And so we put the big tables out to make it look like there was more happening and, you know, fill the room up a little bit. Um, and uh, then in 2014, that was Easter Sunday. And there were 32 people on Easter Sunday. And man, we were so excited, you know. God was moving and, and the church was growing. Uh, and then 2015 there, that's Easter Sunday, again, 64 people, and it was a record Sunday for us, it was a, you know, a monumental day, and, and we were so excited, and the church just continued to grow and grow and grow, um, if you go to the next picture, that is, um, you see there, the building's completely full, and uh, packed out. Um, this was only one of our services. We had two services that were completely full, and uh, this was right before COVID. We were trying to figure out how to go to three services uh, or move to another location, which is difficult in England with a, in, in a big city, um, you know, with space. But the building was completely full twice, and um, that's what God did in England. That's what God did through you. If all those people, if they could be here this morning in their British accents, they would be saying thank you. We're sending the parks and, and, and doing that and being, and being a, a part of the team. This church and a, a whole bunch of other churches helped to plant a church in England. And so um, England's a city of uh, a million people, and our church was probably, probably somewhere around the top 10 as far as size goes in the whole city of Bristol. And this is what, this is what you all did. We did this together. This is the great thing about being a part of a church. And uh, I, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, proponent of, of being a part of a church because um, I'm guessing there was just a handful of you that were here 10 years ago when I was here, right? And people have come and gone in between here. And the church has been able to be faithful. So we were overseas for eight years, in England for eight years, without coming back to raise more support, without coming to, 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 to do what I'm doing right now. And uh, that's because churches like this were faithful. That's the great thing about being a part of the church and giving to the church's missions program. Because when you do, you're supporting all kinds of missionaries all over the place all at once. So um, this, is, this is the way we ended up. 
And then COVID happened. Who remembers COVID? Did that happen here or is that just over in Europe? Okay. So we were uh, online services um, for uh, 14 months. We didn't have in-person services for 14 months. Uh, the lockdown was, was very extreme. I know Illinois was, was, was you, know, you know, more extreme than other places, but England was, we, we could not meet. Uh, so I got used to preaching to a camera. I'm sick of preaching to a camera. I know I'm not called to be a TV preacher because I don't like staring at the camera. But that's what we did for 14 months. We had our, our, our small groups online. We, we uh, had people join the church, online church, and they, they joined the church, and they joined a small group, and they became a part of the life of the church and started giving all that uh, during that 14 months. So, um, you know, this uh, man of faith and power here in front of you, uh, when they said three weeks of lockdown, three weeks of... I was terrified. I was like, oh, what's going to happen, you know? Uh, what's going to happen to the people and to the church? And what's going to happen to the giving? You know, what's going to... And you know what? The church just continued to move forward and to march on. And at the end of that 14 months, there was still a church there. To my lack of faith amazement, there was still a church there. The people were still there. And um, that was kind of the signal for us that uh, we had done our job as missionaries, that we were there not to pastor forever, but to plant and to start and to, to be able to hand things off. So uh, February of, of this year, a new pastor took over Life Church Bristol, and he's a British guy, and he's leading it, and they're um, uh, reaching their community in their own way, and, and we're off now to uh, doing what we're doing right now, and then going back and planting another church and uh, mentoring and, and leading and helping other, other church planters to get a good head start, not to make the mistakes that we made. You know, I showed you all the pictures of how, you know, it was all good, good, good. But we made some mistakes along the way as, uh, as Americans, as missionaries, and as, as first-time church planters. And so we're going to mentor and teach uh, other, other pastors and hopefully give them a good head start on, on planting churches all across England and inspire them that this can be done. Because, you know, when things are, when you see churches closing all over the place and people are downcast and, and even people that are, you know, in ministry, and like, oh, well, you know, uh, it's good to see something like this happen and say, you know what, this can happen. And so I'm passionate about church planting, um, about starting new things. There's, there's nothing more exciting to me than, than um, you know, seeing an like, empty building like we did and believing that God's going to do something, that God's going to fill that room, that God's going to bring in people and not know how he's going to do it, but just believe he's going to do it. And then you show up every Sunday and you just pray and there's more than, you know, uh, 10 people or more than 12 or 15 people or there's anybody at all that shows up and watch God move step by step and watch God build something. And so that's my passion is to see churches planted, uh, new churches planted, churches that are on the verge of closing, uh, being revived and restarted. And so, you know, we're here this morning. I'm here this morning to share that story with you and to ask you to help us to do it again. Who would like to be a part of that? Yeah. Um, I, well, too bad I am. I'm going to be a part of it. Uh, I want to be a part of, of seeing another church being planted and watching now that I'm, I'm 50 now, so I'm getting it up there a little bit. Now, now it's my passion's turning more and more to, to seeing uh, young uh, men and women uh, plant churches and see their success and see how, how, they, how God works in that generation, how God moves through them. And so, you know, you can help us in a couple ways. Number one, uh, obviously by prayer. The most important thing that you can do for your missionaries is to pray for us. 
because we can have all the money and have all the strategy and have all of the teams and have everything set in place. But if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's never going to work. If we don't have God moving in the hearts and lives of people, it'll, it'll never work. It'll, it'll never happen. And uh, we're not a business. Uh, we're the church. And so that means the Holy Spirit is, is an integral part of it. And we have an enemy who's fighting against us and trying to uproot everything that we plant. And so to have a church like this, uh, people uh, praying, uh, even if you're halfway around the world, is, is really what we need. So pray for your missionaries. Pray for us as we, as we head back. Number two is by giving. And of course, you know, like I said, the faithfulness of this church over all these years to, to, to support us financially every month has been just, you know, that's what's kept us there and be able to help us to be faithful. And so for me, when I talk about giving, uh, there's not any arm twisting or guilt trips, you know, uh, not going to, you know, guilt trip you. Or, uh, to me, it's an invitation. When I look at that pictures there, of that building being full, uh, and I, I, I want to invite you to be a part of it. And some of you have been a part of it. You've been, you've been giving, you've been praying. And uh, so you're, when you see that, you're like, oh, I had an investment in that. I had a part in that. And some people, maybe not, or not yet. And so this morning, um, my, uh, my, I guess, talk about finances and money when it comes to the kingdom is this is an, this is an invitation. What an awesome opportunity to participate in a real tangible way in what God's doing. I mean, this is only one story of all the things that your missionaries are doing. And so um, I, I take every opportunity to be a part of that. So I'm just inviting you to be a part of it uh, financially in a, in a real a real tangible way. And uh, when your missionaries come back and give you a report like I'm doing, you can say, yeah, I, I was an investor. I was a part of that. And uh, then, then thirdly is by going and being a missionary yourself. And I really believe that every, every single person is a missionary. Every person has their own mission field. So my mission field is England. And um, you say, well, I can't go to England. Well, that's fine. That's my mission field. But you have your own mission field um, where you work. So, you know, I can't go to your workplace. I can't go to your family reunion. I don't want to go to your family reunion. Um, you probably don't want to go to the, your family reunion. But anyway, um, that's your mission field, your school, the place that God, your, the grocery store, the places, the people, your neighbors. That's your mission field. Places that I can't go, you can go. God's giving you that opportunity uh, to go and to be a part of, of, um, of his mission work in your local community. So uh, be a missionary where God's, where God's called you uh, to be. So this is the, that's the story of, of what we've done. And I'm going to, uh, who wants to hear a little out of God's word? I'm going to share a little bit out of God's word. Uh, and I'm kind of just going to piggyback off of that story. And the title of the sermon is uh, Turning Dreams into Reality. And I started off by saying that we came here with a dream. Um, a dream to, to plant a church in England. And uh, not many, uh, we didn't have very, very many details, but that's, that's what we have. So the question for you, I'm going to ask you this morning, is what is your dream? What has God placed in your heart? What has God placed in your life that, that you're uh, working towards? So he says, I, I want you to do this and to call you to do this. What gets you up in the morning? What motivates you? What are you striving for uh, for Jesus? Mine was planting a church. So I don't know what yours is. Everyone has their own. 
one thing I really believe is that God has given every single person a specific dream and plan for their life. He has something he wants you to do. Maybe it's start a new career or a college degree or write a book. Or maybe it's something like raise your kids in a godly family that you weren't raised in and to change your family's history. Maybe that's God's dream for you. So I don't know what it is for you. But I will tell you this. If you don't have a dream for your life, someone else will. That's, a, that's they're, 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 you know, nature hates a vacuum. Well, if there's a vacuum of dream in your life, someone is going to try to fill that. And use some, uh, some suggestions of who that might be. Advertisers. How many know the advertisers and the people in the media, they have a dream for your life, where you're going to spend your money, how you're going to spend your time. They have a dream for you. Social media. Social media has a dream for you and what they want you to believe and what they want you to think and how they want you to spend your time. They have a dream for you. Maybe your family has a dream for you. As well-intentioned as they may be and they love you to death, their dream for you might be your dream. When we first went to Azerbaijan as missionaries, uh, one of my family members said to me, why in God's name would you take your kids over there to that God, and this is what she said, that God-forsaken place? And I thought, that's pretty prophetic. Why would you go to that God-forsaken place? That's exactly why we were going, because it was God-forsaken. I said, thank you very much for that endorsement. That's what I needed to hear. It's God-forsaken. That's why we're going. But that, that person had a dream for my life that wasn't a part of God's dream. The politicians, oh, we're getting close to election time. And all the politicians have a dream for you, don't they? For your vote. Your boss has a dream for your 40 or 60 hours a week. He has a dream. She has a dream for you. Is it God's dream? But what is God's dream for you? Your individual, unique dream that God has for you. Number one, how you can kind of know what this dream is. Maybe you're trying to sort it out. God's dream for you is going to involve faith. It's going to involve faith. If it's, if it's from God, it's not going to be one of those things you think, oh, I can do that. No problem. You know, I'll just, you know, I, I've, I've got this down. It'll be a bit scary, okay? I think uh, fear and faith kind of, you know, they kind of go hand in hand a lot of times. God's dream for you will require faith. So we went to all these churches uh, eight years ago and said, we're going to plant a church in England. And, uh, you know, at night when I was alone by myself, I would think, ooh, are we? <laughs> you know, how am I going to do that? I've just told all these churches and all these people, and they've given me all this money. Whew, a little scary. I think it's maybe one of the number one reasons people fail at the dream that God's given them is that they, God gives them the dream and they say, yes. And then they realize, ooh, it's going to require faith. It's going to require me trusting God and believing God and stepping out in a place I've never been before. And they pull back. It's individual, like I said. God's dream for you is individual. It's tailored for you. It's not like anyone else's. You'll probably never share your dream with someone and they'll go, yes, that's exactly what God said to me, down to the T. They'll probably look at you and go, oh, wow, good for you, you know. I wouldn't want to do that. And number three, it stirs your soul. It gets you excited, not just happy or, you know, you think it's a good idea, but there's something soul uh, stirring about it. 
It's God's calling and his dream for you mixing with the way he's created you. And it creates these sparks when those two, two things hit together. And you know there's something different about this. There's something different about this wild, crazy thought that you had. That's how I feel about church planting. I hope I communicate that. But I hope, but that's how I feel about church planting. Some people are like, ooh, some pastors I talk to say, I, no way. I'm, no, I would hate to plant a church. I would, I'm like, why? It's the greatest thing ever. You know, and they're like, no, I'm happy. I'm just going to go to an established church and, you know, pastor and love people. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And what I do doesn't make any sense to them. So there you go. God's dream for you. John 10.10 says, The thief is only here to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they would have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. And then finally, God's dream for you is better than your dream for yourself. I had my dream about what this church would be in England. And my dream about what this church would be was so far below what God actually did. It's amazing. Looking back, I think, Man, my, my, my thought of how, you know, what would be the best, what would be, you know, the best church or how would that work out is far below what God did. So be open to God blowing your dreams out of, out of the water of what you think they ought to be. We had a lot of young people in our church in England. So a lot of college students. We had a university near us, a lot of college students. Um, and uh, the story we heard over and over again was, they would say, I was so glad, we were so happy, I was so happy to, to leave home, get away from my parents, so I wouldn't have to go to church anymore, because they went to churches that weren't happy, clappy churches. Sad, sadly, sadly enough, they, they, a lot of them went to the sorrowful and, and mournful and boring kind of churches with no life in it. But uh, they said, someone invited me, or somehow I ended up this, at this church, and they said, the most amazing thing that I found in my freshman year of college is that I'm in church. They said, I never thought I'd go to church outside. But a lot of them had questions about God's dream for their life or their future. You know, when you're 18, 19, 20, those are, those are in the forefront of your mind. Um, so these are little checklists that we would have about finding God's dream. Number one, what are you good at? What are the things that God's already, the talents that God's already given you? that you're good at, that you, that you, you know, that you just, you look back and you think, wow, yeah, that was a, that was good. That may be a hint to what God's dream is for you. Number two, what are you passionate about? What are the things that, the things that, you know, when you lie awake at at night and you think, oh, you know, uh, um, this problem, you know, uh, the kids in our community or the poor in our community or, or missions or, oh, the poor people in Angola or, or Mongolia, you know, or China, and you just can't get them out of your mind, and it's a passion that you, you don't have to work at it. It just happens. That could be a clue of what God's dream is for you. What do other people say about you? What are the spiritual mentors and leaders? Are they, are they say, wow, you know, you're really great with kids. You're really great in kids' ministry, or you're an amazing writer, or you're just great with people, or, or when you pray, heaven comes down, or you know, whatever it may be. What are other people saying about you? That's a clue and a hint about what God's dream is for you. What gives you joy? What, you know, you, you're involved in this, or you do that, and you just think, uh, you know, uh, I, I, man, I, I, I would do this if I didn't get paid, or I would do this, you know, just on my own. What gives you joy? I, I'm a real believer in the, the things that God wants you to do, the dream that God has for you to do, 
that uh, it, it's not a miserable thing. It's not something you hate to do. God knows us too well. You know, that may, we may be obedient for a while in that area, but sooner or later we're going to say, now nah, forget it if there's no joy in it. So God gives us dreams that match up with our joy. What are you hearing from God, obviously? When you pray, when you seek God, what are you hearing? And then finally, who do you admire? You know, you look at, uh, you look at people that run orphanages and you think, oh, that's so amazing. I wish I could you know, be like that person or, or that person that prays this way or the person that, that leads worship. And, and you just think, wow, I, they're so amazing. They're such an awesome. That's a great cl- a clue and a hint into maybe where God's leading you. So I'm going to go through a few ingredients and tell some stories along the way of uh, how we turned a dream into reality. So how did that happen? What are some of the ingredients? Number one, uh, faith. And I put up there, faith is the antidote of fear. Okay? So um, I'm one of these people that believes that God's created us in such a way that we can hold two opposite things at the same time. We can hold fear and we can hold faith at the same time. That you can march out full of faith and still have an element of fear involved in it. And, I mean, you just look at, the, look at the, uh, the Bible and think about people like, like Moses or Abraham or, or Peter or Gideon. Men of faith, people of faith, that yet at the same time they had that element of fear. Don't, don't, don't think that just because, oh, I'm, I'm a little, there's a little fear, a little you know, anxiety, a little worry about how this is all going to work out, that, that that precludes you from what God wants to do in your life. It's okay. Have a little fear. I think God's big enough. He can handle it. So we, before we left uh, for England, uh, you know, 3% of people there are, are, you know, don't go to church. And a lot of people are very negative towards church. A lot of uh, everything from apathy to uh, you know, anti-church. That's kind of the range it goes, you know. Um, and so uh, we knew all this going ahead of time. But sometimes in church foyers, I would speak to people and uh, they would say, oh, you know, good luck to you. Uh, I, that's always really encouraging when people wish me luck in a church foyer. But anyway, uh, good luck to you. Uh, I don't think you'll be able to do it, but good luck to you. Um, the worst was when people from England that had immigrated over here would in church foyers. Now, this didn't happen in this church. I know it wasn't here. Somewhere else. But uh, would say, oh, you know, you're, you, that'll never work. People from England. I had been there, but they were telling me, uh, yeah, I'm from there, and what you're trying to do is never going to work. Um, that, that brought up a lot of fear. But, by the way, when we were in Azerbaijan, uh, going to a Muslim country, you had people tell me that it had never worked there. And when we went to uh, a little town in central Illinois of 500 people in a small church, people told me that it would never, it would never work there uh, as well. So they were wrong in all three. So now that I've got these three under my belt, when you tell me uh, it'll never work, it probably just encouraged me to do it all the more. But um, there was fear. There was fear about going to this new country, this new land, and trying to plant a church. Faith is the antidote of fear. Isaiah 41.10, I think I have, might have the wrong scripture, but I'll uh, read this. It says, do, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. Don't let that fear keep you from doing what God wants you to do. Number two, endurance. An elephant makes many snacks. You ever heard that saying? 
Um, how do you eat an elephant? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Endurance. James says this about endurance. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there's nothing missing and nothing lacking. So part of God's plan for growing us is to put us through some endurance, to put us through some trials and some testing, to give us a big project and say, now start at it. So there's a guy, Malcolm Gladwell. He wrote a book called Outliers. And in his book, one of his theses is, is that become an expert at something, to become excellent at something, uh, to become world-class at something, it takes 10,000 hours of dedicated practice. Endurance. So I would love to go up to that piano right now and just play a beautiful song. Just sing up and down those, those keys and just wow and amaze everyone. I would love to be able to do that. But you know what? I don't care enough to spend 10,000 hours to learn the piano like that. I Just to be honest with you, I don't. I don't have the endurance. I mean, I'd love to do it, but I don't want to spend 10,000 hours becoming an expert at piano. So that's one thing I put off to the side. But I do want to become an excellent and the very best church planter I can possibly be. So I'm going to spend my time and my energy and my efforts, and I'm going to work and I'm going to study, and I'm going to talk to other church planters and go to conferences, and then I'm going to work and I'm going to work and I'm going to work. Endurance. Endurance. Part of God's uh, dream for you and God's plan for you is that it's going to take endurance. It says right there, the endurance grows even stronger until it releases perfection. And so part of God's plan for you, sorry to break the bad news, is going to take some work and some endurance. Next one there is resilience and the art of the bounce back, that when you fall down, you get back up. This is what Paul said about his ministry in 2 Corinthians. He said, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And Paul's talking about his ministry and what he went through. He was pressed on every side, perplexed, persecuted, and abandoned, and struck down. Sign me up, you know, that's what I want to be a part of. But you realize that when every time that he was in one of those situations, he had to bounce back. Paul was the, Paul was the you know, if you read the book of Acts, he was the king of the bounce back. He was the guy who they beat until they thought he was dead. And he got up and walked right back into the city. That's the bounce back uh, uh, guy uh, from the book of Acts, Paul. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be tough. And uh, we made mistakes in our church planting. Uh, we did some things that, you know, for, you know, we had good intentions, but they didn't work out. Resilience. Being resilient and bouncing back. That's going to be a part of your dream that God has for you. There's going to be disappointments and discouragements and failures. But look at the other side of things. It's the thrill of overcoming those things. It's the victory that happens when we, when we stick it through and, we're, and we, we don't give up and we bounce back and then we see the victory. We see it, it come through. There are a lot of Sundays, especially early on in the church when there were five or ten or seven or so people. And I got in my car after church and everyone had gone home and I sat there and my thought was, what in the world am I doing here? 
this is pointless. This is, they were right. This is never going to work. No one's going to come. You know, that, you know, the worship was terrible. The kids' ministry, the kids were in the corner making a bunch of noise. You know, and it, it, it you know, and I sat in the car and I thought, what's going to happen? You know, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm going to go do something that's, but you know what I did on Monday? I got up and took a shower, got myself back to church, and I prepared next week's sermon. And it was that kind of doing that over and over again that led to uh, a church being established and planted and now reaching their community. The art of the bounce back. Next one is growth. And it's not always up and to the right. The writers of Hebrews says this, Therefore let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundations of repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God. So the Hebrews talks about a church that started off well and then slid back. And they had to be taught all over again, the very basics. More than likely what happened was they had, they had gone forward and learned about grace and then had fallen back into rules and regulations and the law. And now the writer is saying, come on, let's, why do we have to lay these foundations again? You've been, but let's go. But the point of that is it's a reality. That when you set out to do something for God, that yes, there will be setbacks. And we need to expect it's not always up and to the right. There's going to be ups and downs along the way. The next one is sacrifice. So give to gain. So when you're doing something for God, um, a lot of people have this idea that when I do something for God or when I'm a pastor, and a lot of pastors think this, when I'm a pastor of a big church, I have all this freedom and can just do whatever I want. But it turns out it's the opposite. Then when you start out to do something for God, there's sacrifice, and it comes in two different forms. The first form is uh, the sacrifice of taking on an extra weight, an extra responsibility. So when you, uh, when you start doing that, that you're, all of a sudden you're responsible for other people. You're responsible for making sure that the heat's on and making sure that, that things are working properly. You, you take on responsibility. You know that if you move up in a job, there's greater and greater Responsibility. So there's that, that side of it, that sacrifice. And then there's the sacrifice on the other side where you have to give up stuff. You can't just do and say whatever you want. Your time is, your time is restricted. Your responsibilities are so great that you, you can't just do whatever you want. So as missionaries, we have this, we have responsibilities. And so God's called us to plant a church, okay, and called us to England. But when we head back, we won't be taking any of our kids with us. And we see that our kids are also our responsibility and, and our, our, our calling and what God's called us to be for our kids. But yet he's called us to do that. And so we've had to make a, a calculated a choice. We've had to make a calculated sacrifice that we're not going to be there for our kids during all the little moments when they, when they you know, when the when stuff happens, we'll be there for the big things, weddings and, you know, graduations and big things, but we won't be there for the day-to-day. And that's a sacrifice that we are willing to make and going to make for, uh, for doing what God's called us to do. And, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a big one. But there's a sacrifice involved. It's not all just roses and happy and, you know, there's some real sacrifices that happen when you decide to follow God. And there are people that, that God calls them to something or God asks them to do something 
and they say, no, the sacrifice is too great. I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to give up. Uh, I'm not willing to give up this, or I'm not willing to take on these added responsibilities. But the Bible says, whoever wishes, in Luke 9, 24, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Sacrifice. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. And it's a pattern that goes, goes along with following God and following God's dream. There's sacrifices. There's, there's things we have to give up. There's, there's our little addictions and our little secret sins and our little pr- pleasures that no one knows about and, and little things that God says, you know, you need to give that up if we're going to move forward together. And sometimes we say yes and sometimes we say no, but it's a sacrifice. And then finally, focus in dealing with distractions. There were a lot of times people wanted us to get off this church planning uh, 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 journey that we were on. A lot of people wanted to take us in different directions. So one, one thing that we found out as, as the church began to grow and begin to do well and people um, were, were, were coming, uh, you know, people started to notice and say, oh, you're, you're pretty good at that. Why don't you come over here and help us? Why don't you come over, you know, distractions, good things profitable things you know why don't you come and do this or do that distractions one of the what i will say one of the um one of the uh keys to, to the church growing was our focus was our laser-like focus on what god had called us to do it was amazing to me how many people the first time they ever came to our church they would walk in and after church they would come and find me and start telling me all the things we need to change about our church you know, you ever had that happen? No, never. First time, and the music was too loud, or the sanctuary was too dark, or um, uh, the sermon was too short, or there wasn't enough scripture in the sermon, or on and on and on and on we go. But I had to say, you know what, God's called me to do this and plant this type of church, and this is who we are, and this is who we're going to be. Focus. So if you're going to follow God's dream for you, you've got to be focused. You've got to know exactly what God's called you to do and what he wants you to do and stay on that, no matter how good the other opportunities may be. I'll tell you a story, kind of wrap things up here about, um, about the state of where I think England is. So we were very early in the church. There was a handful of people. We set those tables out one Sunday morning, uh, you know, just started the sermon, and a lady walks in, an elderly lady walks in, sits down, and then through the sermon, she starts crying, weeping, you know, and uh, I mean, staying focused, like I just said, same focused, and she's, she's crying, so after the service, I come over, I say, hi, how are you, and you know, how can I help you, or what's going on, and she said, I used to come to this church, or this building, 20 years ago. I was a part of this church and something happened in the church and she said I walked out of the church and I made a promise that I would never enter into a church again and she said this morning as I was driving by something or someone or a voice told me to pull in and go to church so she said I, I came in and the reason she was crying that morning was the sermon was on the prodigal son and you know the story of the prodigal son it's the story of the son taking his, his inheritance and leaving his father, leaving the household and going off and living a wild lifestyle, and wasting all of that and ending up 
in the worst possible circumstance and realizing one day, wow, if I go back to my father's house, in his mind he thought, well, maybe I can at least be a slave, a servant. At least they have food. He was starving to death. and At least, we ha- at least I'll have food. My father will at least treat me as good as one of his servants. But the story goes that as the father saw his son coming from a long distance, meaning the father was out there looking, he came running to his son with arms wide open. And that was the, that was the emphasis of the sermon, is that God is, is the God who welcomes us back home. And, you know, I thought that was just a sermon for that Sunday. But God sent a lady who had, who had swore off church because of past pains and hurts and brought her in to hear that very message. And she came back to church a few weeks later. Her husband came. Um, he'd never really been a part of church before, but he came in, uh, baptized him. He was 84, so oldest person had baptized, 84-year-old. But they came and were a part of our church and regave, gave their lives back to, to Christ. And, and, um, but I tell you that story because that's what I believe. That's an that's a image of what I believe God wants to do and God can do all across Europe. Europe has, by and large, England has abandoned God. They've sworn off God. I'll never enter church. will never be a part of, of our culture, who we are again. There's been a lot of past hurts from the church, um, a lot of abuses from church over the years. The mixing of church and, and government has not been a good, a good thing at all. And so people have sworn off the church. But I really believe that God can do for Europe and can do for England what he did for that lady. I believe he wants to do that. Again, we can have all this strategy and we can have the money and we can have great services and incredible worship and amazing preaching. But if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit bringing people in like that lady, it'll never work. And so I want to conclude and ask you to pray with me for England and for Europe that God would do an amazing thing because a lot of people have tried. A lot of people have, uh, a lot of academic papers, a lot of studies have been done. A lot of people, smart people, have really been thinking about how, how is God, how are we going to turn this thing around in England? You know, all, uh, all across the world, the church is growing in North America, not so much right now, but so many places, I mean, the church is exploding, Africa and South America, but we just haven't cracked the code in England. And so I believe the missing piece of that is, is we're calling out and, you know, we're waiting on God to, to send the move of his Holy Spirit. And that's going to happen through prayer. So I want to add to that this morning, uh, that, that, uh, that chorus of prayers being lifted up to God for, for England. Would you pray with me? I think we're going to pray for me afterwards. But, but let's pray together for, for England and for God. Lord, um, Lord, just like you did for this woman here in, in England, just one case. Lord, I believe that you can do that for a whole continent. You can do that for millions of people. Lord, this continent's turned its back on you. This continent that is, has decided uh, we're never going to be, church is never going to be a part of our, our lives again. Lord, I believe that you can bring them back with the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would move in an awesome way. Lord, like you did in the, like the Welsh revival and other revivals that have happened across, across this great continent. Lord, we pray that you would move by your spirit, Lord, in individual people's lives. Lord, we pray that you would raise up a church that's ready for this great revival that you're going to send. You would raise up pastor, pastors and missionaries and evangelists and, and prophets and teachers, Lord, people that have been ready to bring in this great harvest. Lord, we pray that you would do what you've done in other parts of the world, Lord. Lord, we believe that you never give up on anyone, just like 
the, the father didn't give up on his prodigal son. Lord, you never give up. You're always there with arms wide open waiting for us to come home. And Lord, I pray that England, Lord, would be like that prodigal son. Come running, come back to the father. Lord, that you would welcome them with open arms. Lord, we pray for that great harvest.